Morning. How are you this morning? So glad you're here with us at South City Church. Got some new faces. We're so grateful that you're here to worship with us today. Hope you'll feel at home and feel part of the family. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. And uh, we've been in a series called Doctrine. Uh, Doctrine is literally just the teaching of the things that we believe. It's the teaching of our faith. And so we're, we're handling five of these doctrines that are very important to what we believe. And of course, we talked about from the beginning, when you really live out of what you believe, it shapes who you are. It shapes what you do. It shapes how you live, how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, how you think, right? Everything about you, how, uh, who you are, it's everything. The first week, we talked about the doctrine of creation and the fact that when you really believe that God created everything, it will influence right, your identity. You will know who you are just based in the fact that we know God created all things. Last week, we talked about the fall of man, the doctrine of sin, the fact that we've all been infected or affected by the sin of Adam and Eve. They made a choice. And in doing so, they imputed, that's the fancy word for that, they imputed to us their sinfulness to the rest of uh, humanity, right? So all of us are infected. All of us uh, are, are, are guilty. We all fall short of God's glory. And so we, we, we celebrate today the, the beauty of the rescue of Jesus that God sent his one and only son, right? To pay the price for our penalty, so that he could save us and redeem us by his grace and by his blood. Well, today I want us to talk about the doctrine of covenant. Uh, and it is beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. When we really get into it and we really understand it, there is so much that we can learn about the character and nature of God and his unrelenting, unbelievable love for us, right? Uh, I want to define covenant for you. Just if we were to define covenant in a simple way, I would say that a covenant is the deepest promise you can make. Like 26 and a half years ago, I stood on this stage right here, looking, I was standing like this, and I was looking back towards those back doors back there, and I just saw an angel in white. And she's still my angel. 26 years later, uh, but in that moment, as a 21-year-old kid, all that I knew about commitment and promise and covenant, I made to her. And by God's grace, I will die being faithful to my wife, loving my wife, serving my wife, because I made a covenant to my wife and to the Lord, more importantly, right? It's not something we take lightly. Uh, in the ancient world, when, when you made a covenant, you would do something kind of radical, it's very foreign to us today, but in the ancient world when you'd make a covenant, you would sacrifice an animal or many animals, you would lay them on the ground in this bloody scene, and then you would walk through the bloody sacrifice of these animals, repeating your end of the covenant, I promise to whatever the covenant was, your deep promise. In doing so, what you're saying is, by, by the fact that I'm walking through this scene, and it is what it is, I am saying that if I don't uphold my end of the covenant, my promise, you can do to me what has been done to these animals. Right? Think about that for a minute. Would you make that promise? You'd have to feel pretty confident, right, that you could uphold your end. That was, uh, they gave it a name, and it's just kind of a phrase that kind of became known as cutting a covenant. It wasn't because they cut a ribbon at the end of the ceremony. It was because they cut up a bunch of animals and dismembered them in this bloody scene of this covenant service. In fact, it's the reason, if you look at your cards, it's the reason that our icon today is a, is a drop of blood. That's covenant. Covenant is not something you enter into quickly. It's, it's something that you don't take lightly. It's something that you promise as deeply as you possibly can with the intent to be faithful to your end of the covenant. Uh, in the Bible, we learn about these covenants we're going to talk about today. And we see that God is a covenant-keeping, faithful, loving, generous, and gracious God. I mean, we see it over and over again. In Hebrew, the word is chesed. And it just means the loving faithfulness of God. It's his covenant love. That, that's what it means, right? 
I was trying to think of a way to kind of explain it and bring it onto our level because I need things on the bottom shelf often, right? I want to understand things clearly, something in my context that I can get. And all I could think about as I, as I prayed about it and thought about it was us as parents. You know, we, the Lord didn't make us parents for the first 12 years of our marriage. And in doing so, we were wanting children. We were praying for children. We were fasting for children. We were weeping for children, hoping for children. And so when the Lord gave us Daisy, our first child, something changed in my soul. And for the first time, I mean, I love my wife. Something changed a little differently for my children in an amazing way. I'd never experienced anything like that in all of my life. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's our desire that our children have what they need. They're provided for. They're cared for. They're disciplined so that they become who we want to see them to become, right? We have to sometimes redirect their paths so that they can go in the direction God wants them to go and to be good people. Well, God has done that from the beginning of time. He has disciplined, he has provided, he has cared for, he has redirected his people in these covenants over and over again because of his chesed, his faithful, loving kindness. But I hope today when you leave here, you have a little bit better understanding of what it means to be in this kind of a covenant with God. From the beginning in Genesis, God uses this phrase uh, with these personal pronouns. I will be your God and you will be my people. Not I will be a God, not you will be a people. No, I will be your God and you will be my people. Guess what he also says it in Revelation. And he says it all the way throughout scripture. This is God's covenant love for us that he wants us to be his people and he wants to be our God. Last week we talked about the fact that God cannot sin. It's not in his capacity to sin. And so when he makes a promise, you can count on it, right? Because he's a promise-keeping God. He will not, cannot fail you. So when you think about covenant, it just makes it that much strong, stronger, makes it that much more uh, beautiful and lasting and faithful. We talk about these covenants this morning, and I hope that ultimately uh, at some point today you will think about covenant in, in the sense of, and I keep thinking about this word, relentless. His relentless, never-ending, never-stopping, faithful love for his people. The Jesus Storybook Bible I love the way it puts it. It says, God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is his covenant love for us. And I pray that God would show us, truly show us today, just a little bit of what that means. Would you pray with me as we ask him to help us with that? Father, we love you. God, we need you this morning. We are so grateful for this love, this faithful, relentless never-ending, never-dying love that you have for us, God. May we hear of it today. Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know that love, may they come to know you, Jesus, today by your grace. Father, draw them. Lord, if there are believers here that have forgotten how very much they're loved, remind them. And Lord, I pray with all my heart that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all of the truth you'd have us to know, that I would stay out of your way, God, that I would decrease and you would increase by your grace in my life and over our church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want us to look, we're gonna, we're gonna go fast here, okay? So if you're taking notes, hang in there. Here we go. I want us to look at five covenants from the Bible today. There's a lot of covenants throughout the Bible, but I want us to look at five uh, main things that I believe the Lord wants to show us today. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis are really about uh, creation being called into existence. But from chapter 12 on, is about God calling his people to covenant. God calling us to this relationship. That's what a covenant is. A, a covenant with God is, is in many ways saying, I'm gonna keep my end of the covenant, and when you don't keep your end of the covenant, I'm gonna keep your end too. That's covenant love with the Lord. So last week again, we talked about sin infecting, affecting, changing everything in the world, right? The reality is, is sin after the garden and so on, and as it grows, sin grows. Sin becomes so pervasive 
that God literally gets so angry, he just says, enough! And he describes the sinfulness of mankind. In Genesis 6, 5, he says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. On the heart of man, only evil, just continually. And I'm done with mankind. Chapter 6, verse 8, he says, I will blot out from the earth, uh, blot out man from the earth, but Noah found favor with God. You know, sometimes we read that, if you're just kind of reading in a Bible study, you go, wow, Noah must have been pretty awesome. That's our tendency, isn't it? Noah, what a good, he must have been the good guy, right? He was the good guy upholding all the spiritual truths. No. Noah was a sinner, just like you, just like me. And I want to show you something. He says, Noah found favor with God. That is the Hebrew word for grace. It wasn't that Noah was not a sinner. Noah was a sinner. Noah made mistakes. Yes, in in many ways, he lived a, a good life, after the Lord, there's another place that says he was blameless in the sight of all men, which means, didn't mean he, he didn't make mistakes, it just meant that he lived in a blameless way, that he made things right, he, you know, he apologized when he messed up. But the most important thing we see here in verse 8 of chapter 6 is that Noah found grace with God, right? That is, God saved him, God gave him grace. Uh, and I just love the fact that that speaks of that grace in that verse. So God makes a covenant with Noah. Uh, it's the first covenant I want to talk to you about, the Noahic covenant. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis 6, verse 18, where we're going to start. And we're going to be flipping all around here to a bunch of different verses. Let's start here. It's Genesis 6, 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. Right? So God is making this deep promise covenant with Noah and his family, but not just the family, not just Noah, also with the earth and with the animals, we're going to see as well. Right? It's, uh, what happens is, of course, we, if you know the story of Noah, he gets the animals on the ark, 40 days and nights it rains. Well, when he hits land, the doors come down, and the animals begin to leave, Noah takes some of those animals and he sacrifices them in uh, an altar of atonement. It's as if Noah's going to God, he's thinking over these 40 days, why didn't you kill me? I know my thoughts, I know my actions, I know what I've done. Why did I drown? This doesn't make sense, God. I know my son's a sinner. I know his wife's a sinner. Why did we drown? And so he gets off the ark and he sacrifices these animals in, in a, an altar of atonement to say, thank you, God, for covering our sins. We didn't deserve it. And this is, again, you're going to see a lot of foreshadowing of Christ. This is a foreshadowing of Christ who is our atoning sacrifice. We see it here in the Noahic covenant. Look at Genesis chapter uh, 9, verse 11 through 17. It says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off uh, by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. By the way, that means you're still living in the benefit of the Noahic covenant. Right? Think about that. We're still experiencing God's covenant with the earth and with Noah and the animals. So this is a sign of the covenant that I make between you me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I heard a preacher one time talk about the rainbows, what this is talking about. How when you look at a rainbow, it's shaped like this. But if you looked at it as a bow and arrow, the bow and arrow is not shaped like this, like it's pointed toward the earth as a weapon. So if you mess up, God's got you, right? No, the bow is aimed at God because he's the one who always keeps 
his covenant. The point of this covenant is that though sin remains, see, sin was so great, God flooded the earth. Well, then what happens? Noah gets off the boat, his family gets off the boat, sin, 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 sin. Noah, his family, the flood didn't cure sin. Sin was continually going on in the earth, and as you know, we live in a sinful, fallen world today, and we have to ask questions like, God, how could this happen, and how could that happen? Because we live in a fallen world. So the point is that even though sin remains on the earth, God will not flood it again, but instead he's going to redeem his people and the earth we inhabit. You know, we talk a lot in politics for sure about uh, green, being green and protecting the earth. And listen, I believe that we have a responsibility to do as much as we can. This is God's earth. We try to teach our kids to clean up and be responsible. But can I just tell you that our efforts won't protect the earth the way God does. God holds this earth, right? Not because you put something in a certain bag, right? This is uh, Mark Driscoll, the way he puts it. He says, nature is fragile, constantly teetering on the edge of disaster, disruptions in the food chain, water pollution, atmospheric changes, and a host of other modern environmental concerns demonstrate dramatically that the earth needs the constant providential care of the creator. God constantly upholds a safe place for humanity to multiply and have dominion. This is the promise of God in the Noahic covenant, right? So I'm gonna give you some specifics on each of these covenants that you can write down. This is the first time we see the word covenant in the Bible, Genesis 6, with the Noahic covenant. The mediator of this covenant is Noah. The sign of the covenant is the rainbow. And this covenant is basically the platform of earth in which God wants to carry out his kingdom purposes and salvation. And just like I talked about a few weeks ago how algebra builds on top of each other, we're gonna see these covenants do the same thing. Here's the second covenant I want you to see. I'm moving fast, I know. The Abrahamic covenant. Remember, familiar with Abram and maybe Abraham? Uh, similar with Abraham, you think, my, in fact, my little girl ran into the house just yesterday singing, Father Abraham had many, you know, she's singing the song. I was like, well, that's kinda interesting. And you would think that somebody like Father Abraham with such an important task would be a really godly good man, right? Wrong. He's a sinner. He's a broken sinner. But this is what he did. God spoke to him and gave him a directive and he obeyed it. He believed that what God said was true. He trusted God, Genesis 12, one through three. God's gonna tell him to do something here. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. No, God, I need exact coordinates. No, just go to the land I'll show you at some point, right? Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Watch verse three. I will bless those who bless you uh, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth you shall, uh, shall be blessed. I will bless you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So a couple of things here. Through Abraham's family, through his line, God is gonna bring the Messiah through the Jews, right? Jesus was Jewish. And so this is the essence of what God is promising to Abraham, Abram at the time. Because of Messiah, because I'm gonna bring Messiah through your family line, not only will you be blessed and your name be great, but I'm gonna bless every family of every nation on the earth. How? Well, when we trust in Jesus as our savior, we are blessed. And if you know him as your savior today, you know there's not a greater blessing in all of your life, right? And so that's, that's what he's saying. Every nation all over the earth, there will be people who choose to follow and have faith in Jesus. And that will be the greatest blessing of their lives. The Bible tells us in Revelation, one day we will worship in such a way that we'll worship with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, right? Because they've been blessed to have the faith in Jesus to be saved. So we see this phrase, and we've talked about it back in our Galatians series quite a bit. Abraham had faith, and because he had faith in God, God credited to him that faith as righteousness, right? In other words, Abraham had faith, God saved Abraham because of that faith. He trusted God. 
and God credited it to him as righteousness. This is where it says it, Genesis 15, verse 6 through 18. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he, and he counted it to him as righteousness. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the, uh, the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, watch this, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the uh, iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, these animal pieces. Verse 18, and on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham or Abram. So there's a lot there. I want to break it down just for a minute here. Abraham believes in God. Abraham has faith, and God credits that faith to him as righteousness. He saves Abraham. Guess what? God saved Abram just as he saves you. You have faith in Jesus, and God credits that faith to you as his righteousness, and now you're saved, redeemed. It's the same same thing. In fact, this is the way uh, Paul talks about that in Galatians 3, 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's us. Those of faith. We're the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham is saved by faith. We are saved by faith. And then God seals this promise with proof in this sacrificial covenant service. It's so interesting to me. It's one of the most interesting and telling descriptions of God's love for us. I want us to look at it for a moment. I can't can't pass over this. This is where we get to cut a covenant, right? Is when these animals are sacrificed, dismembered, and laid out in this bloody act of a ceremony. And then we hear at the very end of this text, we see that God shows up in the form of a smoking pot and a torch, a flaming torch. Often when God connects to people in a relational presence, he does so through smoke and fire. And a little bit later, we're going to see at Mount Sinai, God connect to his people through smoke and fire. But I want you to notice some specifics about this little ceremony that happens that are just amazing to me. Notice that God puts Abram to sleep. Abram is there long enough to shoo the birds away from the carcasses. Get, up, get out of here before the service, right? And then God puts Abram to sleep. Just go to sleep. He says a deep darkness falls on him. Abram's out. But the ceremony goes on. God in his graciousness, God in his love for Abram, never expected Abram to walk through that covenant. Because when you walk through a covenant, you say, if I don't keep my end of this covenant, do to me what we've done to these animals. And yet God never expected Abram to walk through that covenant because he never expected Abram to be able to keep that covenant. He knew he would fail, just as Adam and Eve did, just as Noah had failed. Abram would fail. And so God makes a covenant with himself. Some of you say, wait a minute, how, how can this eternal, holy, other God be sacrificed? How can that even happen, <laughs> right? 
And next week we're going to talk about that, but he's, he's sacrificed on a cross. Jesus, both God and man, literally whipped until pieces of his back are hanging off of his back. He, he's, he is a bloody mess, and he is our sacrifice for when we couldn't keep our end of the covenant. That's love. That's covenantal love that says, I'll keep my end, and you know what? When you can't keep yours, I'll keep yours too. That's covenantal love of God. Of course, we know the other part of Abraham's story. God wants to test Abraham. He says, go and sacrifice your son, the son that had been waited for and prayed for and loved, cherished, and yet Abraham had faith in God. And so he gets his son and he has his son carry the very wood that his son would be burned upon. God said, I want you to sacrifice your son to test Abraham. And so he says, here, Isaac, why don't you carry the wood that we're going to burn this, this sacrifice on? So much like Jesus, who carried his own cross to be sacrificed on, goes up this mountain, and Abraham, who adored this son, lays his son down on an altar, much like God lays his son down on a cross. And Abraham raises this blade to thrust into his son and dismember him for sacrifice. And God says, wait, wait, don't do it. And there's a ram caught in the bushes as provision. You don't have to sacrifice your son. You, you are faithful to me, Abraham. Here's the, here's the provision. Guess what? Jesus is our ram in the thicket. He is our provision so that we don't have to be sacrificed, so that we don't have to uphold our end of the covenant. Jesus has done it for us. The Abrahamic covenant, the mediator, is Abraham. The sign of the covenant internally is faith. We have faith to believe, but externally it was circumcision. And this covenant was secured in the bloody sacrifice that foreshadows the unbelievable love and sacrifice of Jesus, along with his provision for us who believe. So God says, the covenant is I'm going to bless you and every nation through you. That is Jesus. That is the blessing. Third covenant is Mosaic covenant. This is about Moses. Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, where God again is going to represent himself in smoke and fire and he's called Moses to come meet with him on the top of this mountain and again God begins to speak of the relentless love that he has for his people in fact there's this little you see these little moments in scripture that I just love God tells Moses and Moses wasn't young I climbed up a, a small little mountaintop the other day and I was like oh right I'm a lot younger than Moses was but God says hey Moses would you turn back around and go back down to the bottom of the mountain because if the people touch the mountain, they're going to die. I don't want them to die. Would you help them go put a perimeter around the mountain so that they know they can't come up because if they touch the mountain, my holiness will kill them and I don't want them to die. Again, just this loving kindness of the Lord. But he calls Moses to the top of this mountain. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now I want you to notice something in the beginning of that text in verse five. Now therefore, if, see that word? That word's a big deal, because this covenant is different than any other covenant. This covenant is conditional. And this covenant is also temporary. God's going to replace this covenant. But he says, if you'll obey, if you'll do what you're supposed to do, then you can, that by doing those things, you'll show me that you love me. And we'll have relationship. But we, we're seeing, right, that there's a problem with people. A sinful problem that we live with. That even when we try to be who God wants us to be, we try to do what God wants us to do, we fail Apostle Paul said, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't, I'm not able to do the things I want to do. The sinfulness of humanity, the heart of man is wicked, Jeremiah says. Who can know it? 
So God just continues to show his loving kindness. And part of his grace to his people were this set of laws, 613 laws in the Mosaic Covenant, right? Ten of which, the, great, the Ten Commandments, are kind of sum up the rest of the 613. And yet even, that's a grace to give people these laws so they can find a way to live with him, but he also gives ways for uh, representation and grace even in the middle of those laws. But ultimately we find out that we can't keep them. We can't keep these laws, we, we, we fail. Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So it seems as if God is helping us understand who he is as a holy God and what it takes to live with a holy God, which is pretty impossible. He wants us to understand that we're sinners and he's holy. He wants us to understand that we can find rest in him, though. And this, this is the sign of that covenant, Exodus 31, 16. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign uh, forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So the things that I want you to see about this Mosaic Covenant, it's conditional, it's temporary. God wanted his people to know that they could not ascend to him. They can't come to where he is, but he's willing to descend to us. So he comes to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. He comes down to this sacrificial service with Abram. He comes from heaven, holy and perfect as Jesus, descending to us because we could never ascend to him. So Moses is the uh, mediator of this covenant. The sign is the Sabbath. Here's the fourth covenant I want us to look at quickly. The Davidic covenant. There's a covenant with David, 2 Samuel 7, 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of, king, uh, of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. So God speaks these words to the prophet Nathan. Nathan gives them to David. Some of this is a little confusing because in some ways it sounds like he's speaking to his son, Solomon, right? See, God had said to David, you can't, I won't let you build the temple. As badly as David wanted to build a house for God, he couldn't because he had blood on his hands. He was a warrior and a murderer. And so God wouldn't let him build the temple, but he does allow his son Solomon to build the temple. So some of this sounds like he's speaking to Solomon. I'll let him build the temple and I'll, I'll love him and cover him in his iniquity. Well, that has to be Solomon. But there's also messianic prophecy in this where he's speaking of Jesus. So it's a mixture of the two. Uh, he, he speaks about Jesus in the sense that this throne will be established forever. In other words, David didn't live forever. I've been to his gravesite. Uh, grave it's a low room and it says, you know, something in Hebrew and, and you go under and there's just this big, huge rock and you just look at the rock and you go, oh, I think he, maybe he's in there. I don't. He didn't last forever. His throne is not established forever as David. But through David's lineage, through his line, not even Solomon lived forever, right? But through his line, Jesus is established as the greater king forever. He is sitting on the throne as king of kings and lord of lords forever. So there's a little confusion, some, some about Solomon, some about Jesus. He speaks of the fact that he will have the stripes of men. Of course, we know that when Jesus was flogged, 
The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed, which is more talking about our sins than our illnesses. This is messianic. So the Davidic covenant is a promise to establish David's throne through his family, through his family line, but that Jesus would be seated on that throne for all people. In fact, uh, even the Jews celebrated this prophecy and this promise of God. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4 says, and this is the people singing back to God because they know about this covenant. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, not David, Messiah, right? I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So watch this. Because God was faithful to Noah, the earth is filled and multiplied, right? Because God is faithful to his covenant with Abraham, his descendants form and become a nation. And because God was faithful to his covenant with Moses, the nation settles into their promised land. They become uh, led by a king in the kingdom of Israel. David is the mediator of this covenant, and the sign is the throne, the eternal throne of Jesus. So we've got so far, and I'm about to finish, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, all covenants of God trying to show his people how much he loves them. And then he outdoes himself in the new covenant, which we celebrated by communion this morning. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Hear this again. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant. It's speaking even to, to heaven one day. When every person will know the Lord, well, we're even to, to our life in Christ now in the sense that we want to serve the Lord, not out of obligation, but out of love. And then this is the thing that we need to understand today about these covenants is that the Mosaic covenant, I told you it was conditional and temporary, ends the moment that Jesus dies on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, he does away with the old covenant and establishes the new. That's what he says in Matthew 26, 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink, it, uh, drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is Messiah, right? All the prophecies now fulfilled in Jesus. And in fact, all these covenants fulfilled in Jesus. I think it's interesting that, that in Matthew's gospel, first chapter, first verse, he's saying to the Jewish nation, Jesus is Messiah. You have to know Jesus is Messiah. It's interesting gospel because he starts with a genealogy. He doesn't start with like the Christmas story or something else. No, he's making a statement. Look at it with me, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why? Because all these prophecies, all these prophecies said that the son of man, the son of God, Messiah, would come through the line of David and the line of Abraham. So right out of the shoot, Matthew says, he's here, <laughs> right? He's here. Jesus dying on that cross fulfilled every one of these covenants. Jesus' death on the cross was God cutting a covenant with his own son. We were sinful people just as in the time of Noah. We are sinful people just as in the time of Noah. But by God's grace, we believed in faith that Jesus is the promised one. 
and God has credited to us his righteousness, right? We know that we couldn't keep the law. No one is righteous, no, not one, but Jesus kept it for us, and we worship and serve a greater king than David. We serve Jesus, who was established on his throne forever, and the new covenant in Jesus' blood gives us life, not death. I want to just give you a couple more verses to consider. Ezekiel 36, 26 shares with us kind of the, what happens internally in our lives in that new covenant. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Ezekiel in this prophecy is saying, listen, when the new covenant has come, we will be a people who want to serve God. We will have a different heart. It will be a heart of flesh. We'll have the spirit of God living in us to help us live and obey Christ. Christ is the mediator of this covenant. Hebrews tells us in eight, verse, chapter 8, verse 6, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Christ has met every requirement. Friends, the good news is that we are released from that old covenant. That's something to celebrate. I want to just meet one, one verse, Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. That's what God has done through Jesus in this new covenant. The sign of this covenant is your life. Are you a new creation? Do you have a new heart? Do you live by the Spirit? Do you walk in the Spirit? That's the sign of this new covenant in each of us who knows Christ. I want to read one last quote, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time around the tables. I think Driscoll puts it really well when he says, Jesus is a better Noah who brings judgment of sin. Salvation by grace to the family of God and, and the new world free of sin and its effects. Jesus is a better Abraham, the blessings the blessing to the nations of the earth. Jesus is a better Moses as God's prophet who fulfilled the law for us, allows God's wrath to pass over us because of his shed blood, conquered our Pharaoh of sin, redeemed us from sin, and journeys with us toward home despite our sin and grumbling. And Jesus is a better David who is seated on a throne ruling as the king of kings and is coming again to establish his eternal and global kingdom of peace and prosperity. We study these covenants as a part of a doctrine of covenant because it's important for us to understand and know the covenantal love of Jesus, that he loves us so much that he keeps his end and our end, and all these covenants are fulfilled in Jesus. His blood secures everyone. It's not just a promise that he's made us. He's shown us by his death on a cross that he's proven it, Right? That's why we need to understand the covenant of love of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for a chance to look into these covenants. Sometimes it's a little heady and, and uh, we, we dig a little deeper. But Lord, when we do, we find such amazing truths of who you are. How you love us, how deeply you love us, how committed to us you are. God, I can't get over the reality of your covenantal love that you not only held up your end of the covenant, but that you truly were willing to be torn to pieces, to be crucified on a cross because I couldn't keep my end of a promise. Father, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you as their savior, God, would you draw them to make a decision today to believe by faith, Jesus, you are Messiah and you have provided a way out of sinfulness, into everlasting life. And God, if there's a believer here that's, that's just resting, is not following you, not, 
not serving you, not intentional with how they want to know you more. God, would you remind them of your covenantal love that they're covered and let the joy and the hope that we are covered in that love draw us back to your goodness, back to serving you and honoring you, not out of some obligatory reason, God, but because we love you. It's the least we can do is say thank you with how we live. So God, in this time, just for a few minutes, would you lead us in some good conversations with one another and may we go deeper in understanding the covenantal love you have for us in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. If you're the first time here, uh, what we're gonna do is you're just gonna turn around to your table. We're gonna take um, about 10, 12 minutes and we're gonna talk about some of these questions. If you don't get them all covered, that's okay, but go deep into some of these questions with each other, can we?
give you just a couple more minutes to wrap up here. All right. I hope you guys had some really, really great conversations about covenant. And I hope that we have a better understanding of just how much God loves us because of uh, the study of his covenants for us and with us.